I want to ask you a question this morning. Who's the black sheep in your family? Maybe they're sitting next to you. Maybe you're the black sheep of the family. But in my family, there's a specific instance where I am the black sheep in these circumstances. And that's when my family busts out the board games, okay? How many board game people do we have out there? Maybe you're watching online, people in the room, some board game people. All right, well, I enjoy some board games. I enjoy games like Shoots and Ladders. Any Shoots and Ladders fans in here? Um, how about Candyland? I love me some Candyland. I can play with my five and my three-year-old. Um, every once in a while, I let them win, but most of the time it's me. And, and I love games like that, but then there's this upper echelon of games, okay? For the, the board game snobs in here, that's what my family is, okay? Uh, games like Ticket to Ride or King of Tokyo. Games like Settlers of Catan, right? And these are the kind of games that they take some intense you know, intense strategy. And, and there's, there's just this opportunity to spend hours and hours of your day competing against your friends or your family. Games like Risk. I used to love Risk as a kid. And, and you know, my strategy in Risk was you go down to Australia and you just, you just camp out there in Australia and you build up your armies and then you try to sweep across Asia and Europe. That was, I don't know if it ever worked for me, but that was my strategy. You have games like Monopoly, some of you here are like, hey, I'm the boardwalk and park place people, right? That's all I go for, just the high real estate. There's strategy to these games, right? Now, I'm the black sheep because when the board games come out in my house, everyone kind of knows, hey, Gabe's not really interested, okay? Um, he'll be watching the Sixers or the Phillies, uh, but he's not going to spend five hours in a board game. See, that's part of my issue. I have lots of issues. One of them is I have attention problems, okay? I can't stay in one thing for a long time. I have a hard time maybe finishing and seeing things through at times, okay? It's part of my personality type, all right? And, and I like to be able to escape, okay? Hey, I'm gonna go grab a cup of coffee or uh, I, I wanna check the score of the game, okay? So I don't like to get too caught up in, in games like that, but there are some games that I like. There's just one game, some of you know this one. Uh, card game. It's called Uno. Okay? Any Uno fans in the house? Now, as a kid, I always kind of thought of myself when I was playing Uno, like I was, you know, James Bond uh, at this high stakes game. And, you know, the, the, the fate of the world was resting upon my deck of cards. And what's amazing about Uno, if you've never played it, is there's, there's colors and there's symbols and there's numbers. Now, if I put down, a, a, you know, a green number eight card, okay? The next person can then put either another green card down or if they have a yellow eight card, they could change things up. It's getting interesting. Now, I, I was talking to somebody after the service today and they said, in my house, we play spicy uno, caliente, okay? Spicy uno, and she sent me a list of all the rules, okay? And there's just rules and rules and really house rules, right? Where it, it, you can picture, this is one of those things, like in, in, some of you know the Kaiser family, when the Kaiser family plays a game of spoons, like there's, there's like, you know, bruises and black and blue eyes and things get thrown, okay? And in this family, spicy uno, I guess, you know, you could take that, maybe draw two and turn it into a draw four and the next person put a draw four and then that person has to draw like 18 cards, okay? And it gets crazy. What I love about uno is there's one card. There's one card that if you have this in your deck, you are saving this for the opportune moment. What card is that? It's 
the wild draw four, okay? Not only is this the wild card, that I have this wild card, I can use it anytime I want. It doesn't matter what color it is. It's my trump card here. But also, I can put it hurting on the next person, okay? And maybe that you use the strategy. Hey, everybody, let's go after dad, okay? And everybody's going after dad, and they're slapping that card down. And it is so much fun. There's strategy, there's strategy involved, and there's strategy when it comes to that specific card. And for me, I, I often like to keep that for a rainy day, right? I like to keep that card for when I need it the most. And if there's something our sojourners understand, is they understand strategy. We've been seeing in our series that sojourners are missional. These three things, these are the threads that weave all throughout the book of Acts. Sojourners are missional. They understand why we are on this planet. We're here to share the gospel, the good news of Jesus. We're here to, to be called as, as set apart God's holy ones. And that's what God has called us to. So, so we're missional, ambassadors for Christ. We're transitional citizens, more than just of the country we live in. We are citizens of heaven. It doesn't matter if Paul is Jewish or Roman. It doesn't matter. He is a citizen of heaven. That's where his loyalties lie. We're called to that as well. We're called to be intentional. As sojourners, we are intentional about how we do things at work, at school, at home, the way we talk, the way we pray. We are intentional. We don't want to waste our time. Paul understood. I don't have a lot of time. I'm going to be in this city for maybe a couple days. There's going to be opposition. I need to make sure I get the most bang for the buck. I need to get everything in. I'm going to be intentional. You see, we picked up last week in chapter 16, and we're on our second our second missionary journey. And Pastor Chris brought us through the first half of that chapter where we learn that there's this, this concept of the Macedonian call. You see, Paul, he wants to go up into Asia, right? But the Spirit says no. We don't know exactly what that looked like. The Spirit says no, I, I don't want you to go there. I want you to go over to Macedonia. And Paul has this vision of this man from Macedonia and he's calling out saying, come help us. Come help us. So Paul and his companions, they pack up, they head on over here to Troas, which is a, a port city, and they meet this person, Luke. Luke is a doctor, and, and, and some believe that maybe he would pass back and forth between these areas as a doctor, but they, it goes from they to we in the text. As Luke is our author, all of a sudden he joins them on this mission, and the Lord, he prevails, and they go all the way over into Macedonia, and what's their first stop? They stop at a strategic city, called Philippi, strategic city called Philippi. And that's where we began last week. We learned of a, a young lady named uh, Lydia and the Lord used Paul and Silas in their preaching to save Lydia. And we have their first house church starting up in Philippi. It's this amazing thing, but there's soon gonna be a delay. Soon there will be resistance to the gospel as we're gonna find today. And they're gonna be delayed in their ministry. They're gonna be delayed in sharing the gospel. So we might think. Do you ever find yourself in a season of delay? You ever find yourself where maybe you're calling out to God for deliverance from a, a particular situation, a circumstance you found yourself in? God, why, why are you allowing this to happen? We know as sojourners that God has called us to suffer. To sojourn is to suffer, but God, why would you allow your, your gospel, why would you allow your mission to be on pause for a moment? God, why are you making me wait with this sickness? Why don't you deliver? 
we find ourselves at times maybe not understanding why God would have us in seasons of waiting. So this morning, I'd like to bring from the text two weapons that we see Paul and Silas use, two weapons that God has equipped us with as believers, as members of his church, two weapons that we have at our disposal to use in seasons of waiting, in times where we're waiting for deliverance. So would you pray with me this morning as we jump into the text? Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this time we have together. Lord, thank you that you've called us to be sojourners. You've given us a mission. You've given us intentionality. And God, you want for us to be intentional how we use our time. But also, there's times where we're in seasons of waiting, and that can be difficult. Lord, you've equipped us with specific tools that we can use. Would you remind us of those today? Would you challenge us and encourage our hearts as we leave this place to continue on as sojourners with a tremendous focus using these tools that you've given us? We pray all this in your name, Jesus. Amen. So as we said, we start our story here in the city of Philippi. A few things you'd like to know about Philippi is that it was known as a city where you could go to study medicine. In fact, a lot of scholars believe that Luke actually studied medicine here in Philippi. So it was known for that. It was also known for being a Roman free city. So if you were a Roman citizen, you could move there and it was free of taxation and you had all the rights of a Roman citizen all the way over here in Macedonia. It was also known as being a place where retired military would go. So, you know, Caesar, he would send his military after they had served him for years. And this was kind of like the, you're moving down to Florida, okay? I served my time and I'm gonna go live in the villas down in, you know, Sarasota or, or Clearwater. This was that, this is kind of that vacation city where this military, they could go. So this really strong Roman roots, the people of Philippi, they didn't view themselves as necessarily Macedonians. They were like, we are Romans. We have all the rights and privileges that come with being a Roman. And they go down and once again, we said our, our, our sojourners, they have a strategy. So they would start at the synagogue. And last week we learned that there, there wasn't a synagogue most likely because Paul and Silas, they go down to the river where they meet Lydia. Right? And the gospel's moving. They have this house church started. And, and we're going to learn about two more encounters. The first one is Lydia. But this morning, we're going to see two more encounters, personal encounters that our author, Luke, wants to focus on. Let's continue on. Chapter 16, verse 16. It says, as we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. A spirit of divination. There, if you really look at the text, what it says is she had a pythonist spirit in the Greek, which means a python spirit, like a python snake. And there's mythology behind this. In fact, the Greeks at that time, they believed that their god Apollos, he actually went to this cave of an oracle who could, who could tell the future, and he killed this giant snake that guarded that cave. And that gave him power over divination. And so there were priestesses and people you could go to in those days that could tell your future by different schemes and, and sometimes by satanic powers. And this poor girl, we don't know her situation. We don't know her background. We don't know if she grew up uh, an orphan or what. But we know that she had the spirit of divination. She had a satanic power over her. But it also brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. 
This was more than just this girl who, who had this and, 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 and was a burden by in their culture. They looked at this as, wow, this is amazing. They thought of this as a positive thing. You had this amazing gift and these men, they use her to make their fortune. And she followed Paul and us, Luke says, crying out, these men are servants of the most high God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. Wow, this is amazing. Here we are, our sojourners, they don't even have to, to preach because she's already preaching for them. This is free advertising, right? You ever hear the term, any advertising is, is, is good advertising or, or you know, any publicity is good publicity? I mean, this, this woman, she, this poor girl, she's, she's screaming out the truth. Servants of the most high God. But what's interesting is, to her Greek audience, this didn't necessarily mean the God of Israel. In fact, they would have understood this to mean these are servants of the God of gods. The God who is at the top of the pantheon. We have all these different gods that we worship in our idols. And this is kind of the God kind of at the tippy top. He's kind of like in association with Zeus is what they would have thought. And Paul knows that, hey, there's danger in association. There's a danger. In, I don't want to be associated with demonic advertising. I don't need that. I have the gospel. I don't need to be connected to their pantheism. I, I don't want to be connected with this kind of uh, get-rich false uh, prophecy scheme. And he knew there was a danger in, in who he was connected with. And she kept doing this, verse 18, for many days, Paul having become greatly annoyed. You ever been on a road trip, parents? If there's ever a time where you become greatly annoyed, it's in the car on a long trip. My, my family, I'm one of seven, right? One of seven kids. And my parents decided one year we were gonna drive down to Florida in our van. So we hopped in, you know, I had like my Game Boy, you know, and, and we got in the car and we drove all the way down to Florida. There were a few times where I think my dad was greatly annoyed during that time. If you're a youth leader, you ever been on a, a, a middle school retreat? There's times at two in the morning where you might be greatly annoyed. In fact, athletes understand this. You know what a heckler is? A heckler, maybe you are the heckler, right? A heckler is that person who, when you're at that sporting event, they're just their sole purpose is to get under the skin of the opposing team, right? Whether it's the baseball, right? They, they, where do they sit in a baseball game? Right behind the dugout, right? Hey, bada, 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 swing, bada, 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 right? You can't hit the broad side of a barn, okay? They're just, their sole purpose is just to heckle, to annoy, to get under the skin. Basketball, right? Same thing. They're usually sitting in that second or third row. Reminds me of, of uh, Michael Jordan and he used to play at Madison Square Garden, and, and some of you know, uh, know that there's a, a certain celebrity that likes to go to Madison Square Garden where the Knicks play, Spike Lee, famous producer, and he one time was just heckling Michael Jordan throughout the entire playoff series, and the Knicks were pretty good at that time, okay? And it was starting to get under Michael's skin. Now Mike, being the GOAT, right, being the greatest of all time, I believe, he had this moment where he just like, no, we're done. And for the second half of that game, he just lit up the Knicks. He went off. And every time he'd hit that shot, right, he'd look over at Spike in the front row, right? He's like, I'm done with this heckling. And there comes a point where Paul, he comes to the point, just, I'm done with this. This is a distraction. This is, this is pointing away from the gospel. I need to do something about this. Paul, greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, 
I command you in the name of Jesus Christ, come out of her. So Paul leans up upon the name of Jesus Christ with whom all powers have to, right? They have to obey. doesn't matter if it's demonic power. They have to obey the name of Jesus Christ. It says, come out of her. And immediately it came out of her, the text would say. It came out of her that very hour. What an amazing thing. I mean, this is a miracle. I mean, there must have been rejoicing down by the river. This must have been a revival. Maybe she went and got baptized. We don't know. But this, this was an amazing miracle. God freeing her from this evil spirit. But you know, sometimes when God is at work, not everybody likes that. Sometimes there's effects on the social structure of the workplace, on, on the friend group. When that, when that teenager accepts Christ, all of a sudden there's a dynamic shift. When you accept Christ or there's the spirit working in your life and your family members don't believe. And all of a sudden you're different. You're, you're strange to them. You don't talk about the same things. You don't, you don't do the same. You don't use the same words. And you're different. You're strange. It changes things. And this would have changed the social structure of that time. Not everybody was celebrating. This had economic and social implications. Here's what we find, verse 19. When her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, so this is, this is what they built their entire uh, you know, future on. They were entrepreneurs, right? No, they were people taking advantage of her. But they saw themselves as entrepreneurs. This is a great money-making thing we got going here. You know, we just, we send people to her. She's making us a ton of money, and, and, and this is great. All of a sudden, her abilities to tell the future are gone. They are not happy about this. Now they're going to actually have to go get real jobs. I mean, they are not happy. And they seize Paul and Silas and drag them into the marketplace before the rulers. Well, hold on. Paul and Silas, I thought there was four sojourners. So we had Paul and Silas, but then they picked up Timothy, right? And then they picked up Luke, who's, who's our author. Why did only the two of them get dragged before the rulers. Well, it's very possible that they were the ones who looked the most Jewish. Maybe the way they dressed, because Paul and Silas were from Jewish areas, right? They had Jewish heritage. Maybe it was how they talked. Maybe it was because they were doing most of the preaching. But for whatever reason, Timothy and Luke, being, being Romans, being Greek, they, they skirt out of this, and they're kind of observing from the side. So Paul and Silas dragged before the rulers, verse 20, and when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, these men are Jews. These Jews, they're, they're disturbing our city. So they, they lead their argument with a racial comment. They, they're doing everything they can, knowing that there's not a whole lot of substance to, to, to their, their accusation. They're gonna try to get the crowd worked up and these magistrates worked up knowing that, hey, these magistrates are held by the Romans to, to bring order to the city. And if there's disorder, Rome is not gonna be happy and these magistrates are gonna get in trouble. So they know that, their strategy and what they're doing. So they start out with this racial comment, these Jews, they're awful and they're disturbing our city. They're gonna, they're gonna have the city in an uproar. There's gonna be a rebellion. They're using fear as their tactic. Their charges were vague they weren't even really true. You see, our sojourners are being targeted. You ever felt like you were targeted? Student, you ever feel like you were in class and maybe targeted by a teacher because they knew 
You're a believer in Jesus Christ? I've had that happen. You ever been at work and your coworkers, they treat you different? Maybe even go out of their way to target you. Your boss treats you unfairly because you represent something. You represent something that is offensive to them because you're trying to change, in their eyes, change the way they live. You, you represent something that, that causes them to feel guilt, right? Our sojourners here are being targeted. Here's what they say. They're, they advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or Practice. So they start out with this racially charged comment and they said, furthermore, they're trying to change our entire structure. They're trying to change our way of living. They're trying to change our pantheon of gods that we rely upon and change it with this, this one God who's in charge of everything who we're supposed to submit to. And that is not okay. They're using fear. They're trying to change our culture and tell us what to do. That's not very tolerant. That's their charge. You see, folks, the gospel, the gospel is offensive. The gospel of Jesus, that he is the one true God, our creator who loves us and has a purpose for us. Sounds nice, right? But when you're in opposition to that, when the enemy is, is ruling your heart, the gospel is offensive. And our sojourners run into that. See, they were targeted, right? Right? What happens? Verse 22. So the crowd joined in attacking them and the magistrates, they tore off them their garments and they said, beat them with rods. What? Rods? That's kind of strange. Like we, we see Paul being whipped before. We see him stoned earlier in, in our text, but beaten with rods. You know, a little bit of context here. The magistrates at that time, they were awarded a certain amount of bodyguards. They called them lictors, Okay. And depending on how powerful you are, if you're a magistrate, you probably would get anywhere from six to 12 bodyguards. And they would just, they would literally look for the biggest guy in town or former military. Like, hey, you were like a Navy SEAL. You're gonna be my bodyguard now, okay? That's what they would do. Once again, this city is filled with, with military, okay? So these guys were probably huge. They were trained. And they would carry these things around um, called Fasces, okay? It was a bundle of rods, wooden rods bound together. In the middle was often a spear or an axe. And yes, they would use them. They represented law and order. And Rome did not want law and order messed with. And Jews specifically were often known for disrupting that order. And when they had inflicted many blows, verse 23, upon them, they drew them into prison. They threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them surely. So they were just beaten by, who knows, 12 men with rods. I mean, our, our sojourners, they are suffering. They are going through something that is unjust. These charges were not true. They were targeted. And now they're dealing with the consequences. Not only are they in great physical pain, but now they're in prison. The gospel can't advance because they're stalled. They're delayed. Why would God allow that to happen? Why would God allow them to be delayed? Why would he allow his message to be halted? But you see, God always has a purpose. And in is our third character. In enters our third character, our third encounter, our jailer. Verse 23, having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet 
in stocks. The inner prison was reserved for the worst criminals or for the criminals who needed to be humiliated and taught a lesson. And what they would do is they would take these stocks, different than in medieval times, these were like metal combs, and they would clamp them down as tight as they could on your legs or your ankles to cause the most pain possible. It was more than just keeping you secure. It was also a a way of torture. We need to teach these guys a lesson that they can't just be going around trying to change their customs, trying to change who we are. They need to keep their mouth shut. They put them in the stocks. How is this strategic? Why would God allow this to happen? You see, Paul knew something. And we hear when he writes the letter to the Philippian church, the very people who just accepted Christ, we hear what he knows about suffering. Philippians 1, 29 and 30. For it has been granted to you for the sake of Christ that you should not only believe, but also suffer for his sake. Sojourn is to suffer. Engage in the same conflict that you saw I had in Philippi, right? In prison. And now here that I still have. You see, Paul's writing this letter from Rome years later as he's in prison again. I mean, Paul's got to learn his lesson, people. Just keeps getting locked up. He keeps finding himself in prison. But God uses those times. Much of the scriptures we have today comes because Paul was in prison writing these letters. God has a purpose. You see, sojourners have weapons for the waiting. We're going to see here in the next few verses that they tap into two specific weapons that they're going to use in this time of waiting. When they're praying for deliverance, what will God do? Let's take a look at these weapons. Let's find out how Paul and Silas respond. Verse 25, after midnight, about midnight, Paul and Silas were planning their escape, okay? So they started writing on the wall. And Paul, you know, he, he started to think about, okay, what should I do? In the, what would MacGyver do, Okay. And he's looking around. No, wait, time out. (laughs) That's not in the text. If you're following along with us, you know that's not what the text says. I'm just testing you. I'm I'm seeing if you're awake, right? Those at home, I'm seeing if you got up to get your coffee, right? And maybe you did. That's not what the text says. It says about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying. Wow, well, that's kind of lame. I thought you were going to say something like, you know, Something saucy, something exciting. I thought you were going to give me something good here. Praying and some. Read your Bible and pray. Right? We hear that over and over and over again. We, we hear those are the keys to, to growing our faith. Those are the keys to trial, right? Why do we say that so often? Because it's true. Prayer is powerful. They're praying. They just got the snot beat out of them. They're in a torture device And what are they doing? They're not whining. They're not complaining, right? We find ourselves in these situations all the time in life. And as sojourners, we find ourselves targeted. We find ourselves suffering. We find ourselves in seasons of waiting. God, why would you allow this to happen? God, why did my husband have to lose his job? God, why didn't you give us this financially? Why are we still struggling with this? God has a purpose. You need some tools to respond in those moments. They were praying, possibly for deliverance. You see, Israel prayed for deliverance from Egypt for 400 years. Have you ever prayed for four minutes? I struggle to do that at times. Four minutes can seem like a long time when I'm praying. 400 years later, God sent them deliverance. He said, I've heard the cries of my people. He sends Moses. Moses. 
Is God going to deliver? Is, is it going to be delayed? Well, what does Paul say about that? Here's what he says. First Thessalonians. You may have heard of this verse. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. I got this cool little bracelet here, right? Some of you guys know, know Adam who ordered these for us. It says, Rapata. Rejoice always, pray always, thank God always. That is an attitude that we strive for here at first, an attitude that we love to put out because we know that when it comes to being a believer, we need to have this attitude of rapata living. We need to rejoice always, not just when life is easy, but when we are struggling, when there is a time of delay, when there's no deliverance yet, when we don't understand, when we're frustrated with God. God, I don't understand what you're doing here. I don't understand why I would lost my job. I don't understand why we're struggling with these financial situations. God, I don't understand why my son in college is, is, is dealing with this. Why my daughter is struggling to find friends. God, why would you allow this to happen? There's a delay. We need to be in prayer, rapata living. Later, he would write again to the Philippian church. Here's what he says. But the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You see, Paul knew something. He transfers that over to this early church in Philippi. He says, even though I'm in that prison, even though I'm in a difficult situation, I may have been guarded by a, a Roman soldier, but God's peace is what guards my heart and my mind in those times. They were guarded by God's peace See, the first weapon, the first weapon that we have at our disposal is prayer. Here's a couple things that I think would be beneficial for us to know about prayer. First off, prayer is dependence. It's acknowledging our need for God. When I acknowledge my need for God, when I say, God, I need you, I can't do this on my own, what am I doing? I'm bowing down before him saying, I, I, God, God, I need you and, and I'm gonna depend on you. We need to have a moment in our life where, where we have our declaration of dependence. Hopefully it's every day. Hopefully every day we wake up and we declare our dependence on God. God, I can't do this without you. When we do that, it gives us perspective of who we are. It's a reminder of who we are. God, I am just a, a sinful person that is covered by your blood. There's a quote that I like, we're all the same dirt under the cross, right? That is perspective. When I start getting a little too big for my britches and I think I'm so great, when life's going good, guess what? I stop praying. You ever, you ever notice that? When things are going really well, you don't really pray. When there's times where you're struggling and you're depending on God, often that's because there's a trial in your life. God uses those things to remind us of who we are, but also whose we are, that we are children of the most high God. If we have all the privileges that come with that, we have an inheritance with us in our future that we look forward to. And third, it aligns our will. It aligns our will to God. It helps us remember that God, this is all about you. I have my own will, but I need to align that to you. I need to get on that path. Jesus understood this. Jesus is God, but he still submitted himself to the Spirit and to the Father. He says in Matthew 26, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. So here you have Jesus asking his father for deliverance from what he's being asked to do. God, is there any other way, Father, than going to that cross, being separated from you? 
We'll never understand what that meant for him, being separated from the Father. He asked for deliverance from that, but what does he end it with? Not as I will, as you will, God. I will align my will to you. Prayer, folks, is perspective. We need that desperately. One of the models I like to use in my prayer life and something that we've taught through the years at our week of prayer, um, you're not gonna find this uh, specifically found anywhere in the Bible, but these principles are, are true from scripture. Um, this is one of the ways that we can pray when we need to depend on God. We need those reminders. It's the Acts prayers. Now it just so happens we're in the book of Acts, right? Here it is, adoration. It's showing loyalty and admiration for who God is. God, you are, you are the God of the universe you are amazing. Thank you. You are my creator. I just adore you, God. There's, there's love. There's, there's proclamation of who he is and ascribing to him honor. There's then confession. God, I'm a sinful person. Would you, in your spirit, would you show me any wicked way in me? God, I want to be clean, a clean slate before you. Thank you for your forgiveness but I wanna make sure there's nothing standing in the way relationally. I know positionally I'm, I'm saved and forgiven, but God, relationally, I wanna make sure there's nothing in between us. Thanksgiving. Once again, Paul writes to this Philippian church and says, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known, made known to God, Philippians 4, 6. With thanksgiving, there's a direct connection for when we ask something of God to thanking him. God, thank you for who you are. Thank you for delivering me in the past. I know you're gonna do it again. I, God, I trust you. Supplication, a request or a petition. It's, it's a prayer for mercy, asking God for his, his leading, his wisdom, and often his deliverance. It's a model we can use in our prayer lives because prayer not only is a perspective, but it's also power. Prayer is power. It's the power of God that we have at our disposal for deliverance. Is anyone among you in trouble? James says, let them pray. Let them pray. Let me say that again. Are you in a season of trouble? Are you in trouble right now? Pray. Talk to your heavenly father. It's wisdom. It's the power for wisdom. James 1 says, if you, if you lack wisdom, Ask of God who will give generously without reproach. It's not that like, hey, hey, dad, can I have five bucks? Like, ah, again, you just asked me yesterday. Dad, I'm trying to fill up the, the tank. It's gonna cost like $100. Oh, man, right? That's not the attitude. It's, wait, what do you need? Oh, man, I've been asking for, I've been, I've been waiting for you to ask me. You want wisdom? Here it is, right? Here it is. Wisdom, you want wisdom? Hey, you want wisdom? Here it is. God wants to give it to us without reproach. Prayer is the power to provide peace. We see Paul and Silas here in this prison cell. God provides peace for them. That's the peace that guards their heart, the peace of God, a supernatural, a powerful peace that can only come with the source being prayer. God will provide that, but we have to ask for it. We have to pray. We need to be in communion with him. The last thing is it's the power of access before God's throne room. It's our VIP pass. You ever been somewhere uh, with someone important, right? I was able to go to uh, a 76ers game with someone who was working on staff with the Brooklyn Nets, one of our staff members. Uh, her husband was working with the Brooklyn Nets at the time, and, and uh, we were able to kind of get in um, the backstage area of the, of the stadium and meet some players. It was really cool. But I couldn't just do that myself. 
I mean, I think I'm a big deal, but I don't know if anyone there knows who I am. It was because I knew somebody. That was my past. That was my VIP past. I had access to something I wouldn't normally have access to. Jesus is our VIP past. Before the throne room of God, we can come boldly and ask God for help in our times of need. Prayer, it is perspective, and prayer is power. Let's see what else they're gonna tap into. What's the second weapon? About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. So here you go. Not only are they praying, but they're singing. Now, as a youth pastor, you know, being in youth ministry for, for 10 years, I think back now to middle school retreats once again, right? And it's, it's about two in the morning, and there's singing going on. And I don't think there's hymns being sung, okay? It's probably something more like, this is a song that never ends. Yes, it goes on and on, my friend. Or like, and everyone's like, just be quiet and go to bed, right? And there's snickering going on. I don't know what it looked like, but it's a midnight. I mean, they just got the snot beat out of them. They're in these chains, and, and they're praying and they're singing? They're sing seriously, they're singing hymns to God. Now, like Pastor Chris said, I grew up at this church, um, 33 years here at first, and before we were in this building, we were in another building, and before in that building, we were in the other building, the one with the steeple, right? The one that looks, looks like a church to a lot of people, okay? And in that church, we had a basement, okay? And, you know, in that basement, we had Sunday school classrooms. And in those classrooms, there were pianos that maybe looked a little bit like this. And some of you who grew up in church, you know what this, this is, right? There's always that musty old piano, You'd blow the dust off it. Some of the, the ivory is like chipped off, okay? Hadn't been tuned in like 200 years, okay? I think like, I don't know who made this. Maybe it was like Bach himself donated this piano to the church because he felt bad, okay? But I had some Sunday school teachers. They would sing, sing songs with us as kids. And I just have, I have these fond memories of that. I mean, we're talking about names like June Groover and Pat Groover and, and how about um, Marion Nice, just such a gifted musician. She played organ and piano in our church for years. And she was my Sunday school teacher. She would plunk away on those pianos and we sing beautiful hymns like, hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Praise ye the, can you imagine Paul? Like he's in chains, right? Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Come on, Silas. Praise he the Lord. Oh, this is so embarrassing. Why are you making me do this? Come on, we gotta, we gotta sing, we gotta sing. Or maybe it was, maybe it was, I am a C, I am a C-H, I am a C-H-R-A-S-D-I-A-N, and I have, right? You guys know, you're singing it. Maybe it was that, I don't know. I like to think, or maybe it was, I got the joy, 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 down in my, where? Where? Come on, Silas, right? Maybe that was Paul and Silas, they were singing, but as fun as that is to think about, I don't know if they had those songs, first off, but I think the demeanor was a little bit different. There may have been joy, joy because they had a mission, but they were going through great, great difficulty. And worship was going to be their weapon, their weapon to fight back against the enemy, to fight back against their waiting. It was probably more like this, and if you know, I invite you to sing with me. I love you, Lord, and I lift my voice to worship you 
Oh, my soul, rejoice. Beautiful, right? See, we're encouraging each other in these moments, right? Where we sing as God's church. God has given us that as a gift. He's given us that as a weapon. Maybe it was something like this, like we sang this morning. Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. Every hour I need you. My one defense, my righteousness. Oh God, how I need you. Right? Or maybe, maybe it was a message like, Blessed be your name in a land that is plentiful, where the streams of abundance flow. Blessed be your name. You give and take away. You give and take away. As they're in chains. My heart will choose to say, Lord, blessed be your name. Folks, God has given us worship as a way through the waiting, as a way to, to fight back. It's our weapon, prayer, and also worship. Now, they probably would have been singing part of the halal, which was Psalm 114 to 118, song that, that Jesus possibly sang at the Last Supper. We know Jesus sang with his disciples. Maybe it was some new teachings that, that the apostles had been teaching and they, were, they put them to song. Maybe it was some of the Psalms. We don't know exactly what they were singing. But you can imagine it was songs of hope, songs of deliverance, songs that reminded them of who they worshiped. See, worship is a weapon. Worship is a weapon. It's God's presence we get to experience God's presence when we sing, when we worship, just like Jesus sang with his disciples. It's encouragement. It's addressing one another, Ephesians says, in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with all your heart, right? It's this idea of praise. Praise is connected with thanksgiving, but worship then is connected with surrender. So we do both. We, we thank God for who he is. We teach with music, but we also surrender to God when we worship. With hearts of surrender. Teaching, teaching and admonish one another with psalms and singing, Colossians says. Worship is a weapon that sojourners understand how to use. And about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. So here you have these prisoners, they're intently listening. There's something going on here, and, and it's strange to them, but they are just fascinated. Our second point of worship is that worship is a witness Worship is a way that we proclaim Christ. Therefore, let us offer through Jesus a continual sacrifice of praise to God, proclaiming our allegiance to his name, Hebrews says. It's, it's a way for us to share the gospel when we sing about it. Psalms 95.1, O come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Worship is not only a weapon of encouragement in truth, but it's also a witness Verse 26, suddenly there was a great, great earthquake. 
so that the foundation of the prison were shaken. Immediately all the doors were opened, everyone's bonds were unfastened. This is amazing. They've been in waiting. God is now delivered through their, their attitude of worship and through prayer. God is delivered. He unfastened their chains. And when the jailer woke, he saw that the prison doors were open. He drew his sword. He was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out in a loud voice, do not harm yourself, for we're all here. What? Paul, what are you doing? God just delivered. Why are you not leaving? Why aren't you running and bolting for the hills and, and going to the next city? See, Paul knew there was strategy going on here. He was thinking outside of himself. In fact, all the prisoners said, hey, we're all here. Maybe they were changed by what they had heard and what they had seen. They were changed. And the jailer called the light for lights and rushed in, trembling with fear. He fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Worship is a witness. When we pray, when we worship, when our, our lives are all about surrender to God, and that's what worship is, when we're all about surrender to God, guess what? That is a witness to this world. That is a light in a dark world. And our sojourners, they understood this. What must I do to be saved? And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. So they said, you gotta believe in Jesus. And they, and they, they gave him the word of the Lord. They, they shared the gospel with him. His entire household then receives Christ as their savior because they individually believe in Jesus. And he took them at the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Wow. What an amazing outcome. God, why have you put me in this situation? Why are you allowing me to, to wait around while I'm waiting and praying for deliverance? Why haven't you delivered yet? Why is there delay in the deliverance? Because God has a purpose for his kids' suffering. God has a purpose for his children's pain. And in their waiting, he has saving purposes. Maybe you're in affliction this morning. Maybe you find yourself held up. There's some sort of a hold up in your life and you're not sure why God's allowing it to happen. Maybe you're feeling that, you know, the repercussions of injustice on, on your life and you're just frustrated. God, why are you allowing this to happen, right? Why would God allow that to happen? Because he had saving purposes. Well, let's find out what's gonna happen to our sojourns. Let's, let's end the story here, the last couple verses. Verse 35, and when it was day, the magistrates sent the police saying, let those men go. They, hey, They've spent, we sent the message, we tortured them and all that, let them go. Or maybe it was, there was an earthquake. Get these guys out of the city. We, they must have supernatural powers connected to them. Let these men go. And the jailer reported these words to Paul saying, the magistrates, they sent to let you go. Therefore, come and go, go in peace, Paul. Get out of here, this is your chance. You're finally free, okay? Remember what we said about strategy? There's that card, right? We have that wild card still at our disposal. Paul and Silas had a wild card. We get to see what it is. Let's take a look. But Paul said to them, they have beaten us publicly. <clears throat> Uncondemned men who are Roman citizens and have thrown us into prison and do they now throw us out secretly? 
Now they just want to get rid of us? Now, let them come themselves and take us out. You see, there's a little secret that Paul knew. He was a Roman citizen. So was Silas. And with Roman citizenship came privileges as you could not be beaten in any Roman city. You could have a fair trial. To, you could appeal to Caesar. Paul knew this, but why didn't he play that card earlier? There's a lot of speculation about why Paul didn't do this earlier. If it was me, I'd be like, yo, time out. <laughs> right? Uh-uh. I'm a citizen. That's right, baby. You can't do that to me. But Paul goes through with it. He goes through all that suffering for strategic reason. Here's what I believe, right? There's a lot of scholars have all these ideas of why Paul allowed that to happen. I, I, believe, I believe Paul was trying to give a little bit of wiggle room to the early church in Philippi. He wanted some leverage, right? But if you let your imagination go for a minute, what if Paul knew that Macedonian man in his vision was the jailer? And once again, that's not in scripture. We don't know. But what if Paul knew something, right? He had that strategy. Let them come and take us out. And the police reported these words to the magistrates and they were afraid. And they heard that they were Roman citizens, right? Oh, they're, oh this is not good. We're gonna get in trouble. And they came and apologized to them, right? We're sorry, right? We're not worthy. And they came and asked them, please leave the city. And here's one last thing. Paul uses his card on. So they went out of the prison. Did they leave the city right away? They're like, no, we're gonna go visit the church, right? And they visited Lydia. And when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and then departed. As sojourners, as sojourners, we need to remember that there's purpose in the pain of the sojourner, that God has saving purposes for us. And he has given us, as a strategy, he has given us weapons that we can use in times and seasons of waiting. We have prayer. Prayer is perspective and it's power. We have worship. Worship is a weapon. It is our witness. Friends, Let's remember that we're going through struggles and difficulty when we're in a season of waiting. God has given us those tools in our tool belt. He's equipped us and he wants us to use them for his glory as his sojourners. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for these tools you've given us, God. Thank you for the illustration we have of Paul and Silas. Lord, their ability to put their own desires aside for the sake of others. And Lord, the strategy that they used it's, it's a great encouragement to know that we have these tools at our disposal. Would you remind us, God, of who we are and who you are? Would you work in us as your sojourners? Praise all in Jesus' name, amen.